No, I mean, here's the thing. Ultimately, this team's good and they can beat us. And if they do, it's like, hey, good job. Uh, it would just piss me off if that happened just because it would feed into a narrative that annoys me. Not that Kentucky is good, but the, I hate the Team of Destiny narrative. I think it's just annoying. Even when we are the Team of Destiny, I still hate it. Welcome to Chapel Bell Turf, a stats-focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Nathan. I'm Justin. And today we are going to talk all about the University of Kentucky's upcoming game versus the University of Georgia, perhaps the biggest game in the history of one of these two programs. But first, let me tell you that today's episode is brought to you by GoMed. GoMed. They're the med that goes. All right. We'll talk more about that at (laughs) halftime. What a quip. Yeah, you know. You know me. Let's do some subjective narratives coming into this game. You seem to have quite a few here on the notes. I only have one, which is that uh, if you are a neutral fan, and I fully understand this, if you're a neutral fan and you could, you know, and you don't really have a preference between these two teams, you really want Kentucky to win. That seems yeah. to be the general consensus. That makes sense. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a really fun Cinderella story. And even at the beginning of the season, we were looking at all the numbers and our, our schedule and everything. Kentucky's always a team that I look at and I'm like, man, it'd be cool if they kind of made a run for stuff as long mm-hmm. as we're not kind of in the way and then we're, you know, we're not at a detriment because of their success. I don't want that right, to happen right. necessarily, but I just really love a good Cinderella story. And if there were, you know, if we had like lost a few games already and we had no other way to get to the SEC championship and getting through us is the only way for the Kentucky to, to go there, I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. I'd be okay but, with that thing. But because it's a head to head. Yeah. I'm, I'd rather that not happen this time around. Yeah, I'd prefer. I'd, <laughs> I'd prefer, prefer that, that not to be the case. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the big narrative going into this game. Um, before we really get into the Kentucky-specific narratives, like the college football playoff rankings came out this weekend, this past weekend, or not really this weekend. It was on Tuesday, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. How do you feel about them? What you thinking? What's going on? Um, I mean, I don't really care. <laughs> they really don't mean much right now i know yeah i mean and they don't but like also just uga is at the point where either if we went out then it's not gonna be an issue you know what i'm saying yeah yeah it's not yeah if we if we beat alabama in the sec championship then we're going to the playoffs and we'll probably play maybe notre dame which would be nice no well lsu would still be ahead of us so we might play clemson if they went out which i don't really necessarily want to play clemson but we'll yeah i mean see what happens. Uh, yeah but i mean but what i'm saying is it doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter the matchup like ultimately if you win your games you go to the college football playoffs yeah. which is like it's sort of pedantic but we're still in that place you know what yeah. i mean yeah we are we're, we're still right there we'll kind of see what happens i still think that lsu is overrated but doesn't I matter mean, now yeah lsu is objectively overrated especially by s&p plus can i give you my rating. free can you give you my free like free non-uga advice for sure if you want to short a team, short LSU right now. Uh, crazier things have happened. I think LSU might get their ass kicked this weekend. There's a very good chance they do. Yeah. I mean, they have the 67th ranked offense. And that the thing is, even though their defense is very good, like if you believe Alabama can score 30, uh, what do you, I mean, like if you think Alabama can score 30 on them, can they really score 30 on Alabama? LSU can't come back from 30 on Alabama. There's, there, I do not think there's a chance that, that happens. There are teams they've scored more than 30 on. There are very few of them, however. We are one of them, sure. But none of them have a defense like Alabama's. And yeah. Alabama has not even played a full game with all of their first string players in the entire game. It just it isn't going to happen. 
I just think Alabama can score like 35 on everyone in the nation. And that's the thing. So like you have to be good enough on offense to keep up with them. And I just don't really see it. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm excited to watch that game too. And I'm glad that they are in different times of the day. Let's get right into our subjective narrative. So I, I yeah. took a deep dive into the uh, the terrible world that is the internet. And I pulled through. Why? Why did you do that? I do that for the fans. I do that for the listeners, the audience. You're the so, people who come here. You're so much us. better than me. <laughs> I go I go out so I can uh, find the subjective narratives that we can break down into good, good stats, results, and ideas. And uh, just kind of, I don't know where I'm going with this. Anyway. Uh, the very first article I found was titled, Kentucky May Regret Giving UGA Billboard Material. I hated that because the billboard material, I, okay, well, it's a joke because they, Kentucky is. put up billboards. In Well, this is billboard, the weird part. Billboards. They, they put up billboards of their players. They put up billboards of, uh, I think, Bowden, uh, Josh Allen, and Benny Snell. Yeah. Up in New York City, of all places. Now, on one hand, New York City is a, a huge hub for everything culture including football but also it's just kind of weird and someone did say you know kentucky's going to regret this but really kentucky should be proud of everything they've accomplished as far as yeah yeah that that feels a little bit like fake juice like yeah i I don't get it yeah it was kind of dumb there's a difference in florida talking a lot of trash and kentucky putting up billboards to remember this season uh and honor some players that are working their butts off the next one i got was an article from the ajc actually usually a heavy favorite over kentucky in this sec east showdown now, yeah. heavy favorite is a, that's a generous term, I well, feel. Well, I mean, it opened up at 12, at plus 12, and then it got bet it down to nine, I think. It's like nine and a half right now, or nine. Yeah, S&P Plus has at a nine-point margin, which yeah. I will remind everybody. I think everybody the betting lines is right around there. Yeah, the, the Florida margin was a six six and a half margin, so it's not that much further. It's a score and a half, which is fine. I wouldn't say it's a heavy favorite, but we're probably going to, as we break down these stats, we'll probably see a bit more about how this game may be definitely tilted further in our favor. I feel. How, yeah, how we can tilt it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, from Twitter, I got, for UGA, it's another big game. For Kentucky, it's historic. Uh, and I have a little quip here. I, I, I took a deep dive into the S&P Plus ranks. Their average S&P Plus rank, Kentucky, that is, since the 1940s is 52. Yeah, I mean, it is historic, I guess. I mean, they've never had an opportunity this late in the season to win the SEC East, you know. And I think uh, I read something about how, like, this is the highest ranked like the highest average ranking of home game between the two teams with the most on the line, basically. So I think it actually is historic for them. I just, um, I don't know how much that helps them. You know what I mean? Does it help or hurt? I mean, I, I think it could help because I think obviously that stadium's going to be super juiced, but I think it could hurt too. I definitely think this is going to be one of the craziest stadiums we've played in all season with LSU excluded, I feel. LSU, you can't get much crazier than LSU. It's, it's freaking yeah. huge Yeah, at 103,000 people. I think that's right. But yeah, this I mean, it is really big for Kentucky. It, it's pretty neat. They have never won a national championship. You can see some sources will tell you they have, but it's like a retro. Yeah, it's like one one poll ranked one them poll gave them a national championship. Yeah, and it's all it's it's like uh, in 1950 with Bear Bryant. That's right, Bear Bryant, the Bear Bryant coach for Kentucky. He had like a an 11 and one season. He beat number one Oklahoma, and they finished seventh in most polls. And only one poll, one or one or two polls, gave them number one. And so those polls gave them like a, a retroactive national championship which right yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. that means nothing and so this is this is big for them this is the first time in a long time they've controlled their own fate which is huge next article i got was why georgia will beat kentucky and win the sec east yeah what, what i didn't look at that one what did that one say this one goes down it was actually uh it was from dog nation daily yeah i know it's the ag say it's the ajc's uh georgia block 
everyone just seems the, the biggest what i'm really getting to with all these subjective narratives is that everyone seems so sure that we are going to beat kentucky and i think kentucky is truly the dark horse of the sec east it wasn't florida it wasn't south carolina it sure as hell wasn't tennessee Mm-hmm. It is Kentucky. Kentucky is the dark horse to win this SEC East. I mean, and they yeah, could I very well take it away from us. Yeah, at this point, they are the second best team. I just, um, I don't know how to say this. I think this is, this week we can provide a valuable service, which is that, you know, if you can take a moment and take your emotions out of this, which is difficult to do because there's a lot on the line, you know, this is just a really big game between two evenly matched teams. And when you let the history and the narrative play into it, it becomes this thing that it's not. You know what I mean? And and mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. This is a huge moment for Kentucky. I'm yeah. just more like frustrated by people like like, oh, Kentucky could win this game. Don't look at how Kentucky. And it's like I at this point, if enough people say that, don't we understand that like most people know Kentucky can win this game? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, we're aware, we get it. Yeah, I would Very hope well so. Aware. I would hope so. Uh another little piece here is Kentucky doesn't win these sort of games. They're a basketball school. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> It was just from Twitter. I found it on. Uh, Twitter. I found it on many different instances. This quote specifically just came from one Twitter source, but I found it over and over and over and over again. And I did find, of course, uh, it. They do have the most wins by a men's basketball team. They have second most national titles. Their football program, though, is six twelve, six nineteen, and forty four ties. They've never won a national championship. So yikes. Um, and I found so many instances that I didn't even put into this subjective narrative piece of just like miserable, terrible, like unfortunate situations happening in Kentucky like there was for instance in 1977 they could have gone to the Sugar Bowl but they had some sort of ban placed on the the program and so that sucked and like just big games over yeah, in the and over 80s, again in the 80s they were good and they went on probation again as well do you have anything else you said we already talked about you liking Kentucky do you want to talk about Hot Rod oh yeah this is uh one of my favorite pieces of this, this is the legend of legend of Hot Rod was truly born in Kentucky two years ago because yeah, he basically won us the game last time we were there he won us the game and then this post-game interview he kept his helmet and his goggles yeah on. he wore his helmet and his goggles <laughs> I remember I, I watched that game at your um I watched that game at your what should we call it at, uh, our at your brother-in-law's house we did yeah yeah, yeah we did we did we were ahead in the couch. House. that was a good time yeah it was a good time let's talk uh let's talk about do you want to do a little history lesson before we get into the stats here yeah, I'll throw a quick little history lesson in there. So, University of Kentucky. This is what we got. So, University of Kentucky played football for the first time in 1880. That They've been playing since then. They went on a hiatus, as most teams did in the late 1880s. They came back around in 1891. Officially became a football program in 1913. That's when they started playing for real. But the school that we know as modern Kentucky now was then Kentucky State College. And the school that was known as the University of Kentucky was... Right in time for Halloween, Transylvania College. Boo! They are now known as Transylvania College, that is. When everybody hears this episode, it will not be Halloween anymore, so we've really missed that one. Really Uh, spoopy. Very spoopy. In 1898 is the only year in University of Kentucky history to field a team of undefeated, unscored upon, untied players. They finished a season 7-0 despite the average weight of the team being 147 pounds. That team went on to be known as the Immortals, which I thought was really neat. 147 pounds that is 30 pounds almost 30 pounds lighter than i am that's a those are little dudes just little running boys, around little running around big uh, fast strong little boys and they they won most of their games by a 28 point margin which is pretty pretty good uh, especially for back then uh bear bryant did get a start there i already mentioned the 11 and 1 season in 1950 where they uh were retroactively given the national championship but most of the polls gave them a number seven ranking by the end of the season so i'm not buying it uh the biggest thing is Back 
in I, I did read a few more articles that I didn't end up putting because the, really the subjective narrative I wanted to push through was that everyone's so sure that George is going to be Kentucky and that's just kind of in a way recency bias. Yeah. Um the biggest thing is we they do have a few key players that are very good on this team. Especially two years ago, Benny Snell still put up two hundred plus yards on us um against a pretty okay Georgia team, right? The you know, the year before we went to the national championship, of course, and uh, it was a much closer game than I think it's going to be this year, and it was last year, of course, too, but we'll kind of see how it goes as we get through these stats. What do you think? Let's get into some of these stats. We kind of rambled around here. Let's, let's get into the meat here. Um, all right, so Kentucky, let's do the, let's do the S&P Plus update real quick here. So Kentucky is 7-1. and one. They are currently, uh, they have six second-order wins. They're about a win below. I think this reflects the fact that they just shouldn't have won the um, Missouri game, no. basically. Uh, they are the 78th percentile of S&P Plus. Their S&P Plus margin is 8.5. Their rank is 29. Their offensive S&P Plus is 109th. Their defensive S&P Plus is third. So that's pretty much the core of this team uh their rank overall is 77th or their special teams rank overall 77th and last week they were 28th they went down one i do wonder just just looking at this and looking at that second order wins number i do wonder what the narratives would be if this was a six and two kentucky coming into this game and i think it is almost useful to think of them when we prognosticate this game as a six and two kentucky because but for two very fluky and arguably poorly called plays in terms of both refs and players, um, Kentucky would currently be six and two, and this would all be sort of a moot point, or at least less of a moot point. So, or more of a moot point than it is now. It, it would still matter, but not as much. I just think I think this team is very good, and I think it certainly can beat Georgia. I think this this Georgia team is sort of a lot closer to average than last year's was, which is easy to do because last year's team was very good. Um, but I also just think that in our it's important in your anxiety not to over evaluate or under evaluate the opposing team and so yep. you know so it comes down to this this is an excellent excellent defense one of the best defenses in the nation by pretty much any metric you can come up with this mm-hmm. is also a an offense that is bad it's just bad it's really bad it's bad in pretty much every way other than benny snell and their best wide receiver and so i think you know you have to keep that in mind as we talk about this game going forward Let's look at the five factors comparison. So UGA, uh, or sorry, we'll start with offense. So speaking of the bad offense, Kentucky, efficiency-wise, they are 76, 76th in success rate, 90th in marginal efficiency. They are 106th in ISOPPP. They are 86th in marginal efficiency. Their average field position offensively is 66th. Uh, finishing drives, points per, per scoring opportunity, they are 90th. Expected turnover margin, they are 11. Actual turnover margin, they are plus 11. Or sorry, they're eleventh in both of those at plus five points, uh, plus five and plus five point six. You know, I mean, pretty much through and through, just a below average or average offense. And oh, yeah. that that doesn't take away, by the way, this is not like side. This is not side eye of Benny Snell. It's just that you know, on a pretty objective love measure, the the advanced stats don't like this team because they're not very good on offense, right? Uh, or at least this offense. But however, on defense, they are thirteenth in efficiency. They are or a success rate, fifteenth in marginal efficiency, twelfth in ICPPP. Uh, fourth in marginal explosiveness, eighth in average field position, and fourth in points per scoring opportunity at just over three points per scoring opportunity. So that generally that generally means that they are, you know, you're more likely to get kick a field goal against them when you possess the ball inside of the twenty than you are to score a touchdown. Yeah. So I mean that that's sort of like th- this is a, a really bifurcated team. This is this team is like really highs and lows because 
Um, you know, over the past three games, I think they played, they scored 13, 14, and 14 points, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. And they won two of those games. And I think, you know, it kind of boils down just to the fact that it, Kentucky's defense can keep them in things. And if their offense can stay out of the way, then they can win. But this is not a team that is uh, equipped nor very likely to get into a shootout. You know, I don't see this game being a shootout because I think their defense is way too good. But if it were a shootout, this, this, that would be, that would favor U, uh, UGA very much. Let's see. Uh, stats wise, in terms of uh, personality, a couple of things that we need to know about Kentucky. Let's see. 13th overall in the nation standard down run rate. They like to run the ball. 21st Not. overall in the nation pants down, pass down run rate. They really like <laughs> to run the ball. 100th uh, adjusted pace, 90th in percentage of solo tackles and 65th and home uh, havoc rate allowed they do allow some Haggard plays and that's going to be an interesting thing to see if we can mm-hmm. take advantage of that however they do you know a pretty good job of just like sort of playing inside of a phone booth and running it up the middle um they have some interesting things they do with jet action where they like put terry wilson in the um jet sweep action and then they snap the ball to benny snell uh that'll be interesting to see if that comes back out defensively they are 15th in overall havoc rate. They are um, 112th in D-line havoc rate, but they were first in linebacker havoc rate because Josh Allen, who is their sort of premier defensive end slash outside linebacker, is maybe monster. the best. Def- yeah, he's maybe the best defensive player in the nation right now. Uh, passes defense to interceptions is 21st in the nation, and de- defensive back havoc rate is 28th. So they have two sort of like prototypical uh, NFL style corners that are both over six feet tall. Uh, but by far the star on this defense is Josh Allen. And um, if you look at his uh, his individual stats for this year already are pretty eye popping. Um, so currently as of, as of today, Josh Allen has 45 and a half tackles, 14.5 tackle, uh, tackles for loss, 10 sacks, 16 run stuffs Jeez. and four pass breakups. He also has five forced fumbles and he's only giving up 1.7 yards per play. Good for a negative 15% marginal efficiency and a negative 0.63 marginal explosiveness. I did not see that until just now. That is insane. Dude is, dude is nutso. He's also stacked. He's six, five and two sixty. Yeah. Yeah. He's very, very, very good. Um, Definitely a great example of development. So he was a defensive end from Montclair, New Jersey. He was the 2000th nationally ranked prospect he was the 97th defensive end and the 46th commitment in New Jersey itself. He was not 6'5", 260 coming out of high school. He was no. much smaller. And then, you know, I mean, I think sort of the story of Kentucky season is that Kentucky, part of it is that Kentucky's administration allowed Mark Stoops to kind of grow this class into what it is today. And, you know, his three best senior players are the ones leading this team to a special season. And, I mean, Josh Allen is a huge part of that. I mean, arguably, Josh Allen is a bigger part of that than anyone else on the team. Like, you know, Kentucky's offense being bad only doesn't matter because their defense is so good. But Kentucky also has a very good play, a uh, very good pair of cornerbacks. Uh, Derek Beatty Jr. is 6'3", 188, and a senior. And then uh, Chris Westry is 6'4", and 197, and a senior. So very good. Uh, two very good cornerbacks. So Kentucky, very good defense. Anything you want to say about the stats, stats worth highlighting, things that you think that we should look at? Uh, what I really like about this offensive and defensive footprint is just that it seems like Kentucky is a more predictable team. You know, the the footprints that we put together are not necessarily looking like us versus them. It's just a kind of a preferential thing. You can kind of look at it and see what do we expect this team to do? And 71% of the time in standard downs, they're going to run the ball is kind of the thing. So we can kind of, you know, adjust our playbook as we go about. And so we can kind of look down this and it's pretty obvious exactly what they do based on the personnel they have with this team. 
You just have to stop it, which is the problem. Which is the problem, yes. Which they have some next level talent uh, in those roles. And so we'll kind of see how that's going to go. I definitely think that a lot of these offensive numbers, the their offensive numbers from the five factors comparison with them being so poor, I think that that comes from the last few games that they've played. You know, a lot of teams get better as the season goes on. I think the Kentucky just started good and they pretty much just stayed that way. But teams figured out how to beat them. Because if you look back on their earlier games, they played and beat Florida and Mississippi State, who were 18th and 14th ranked S&P Plus, respectively, and then ended up playing very close and uh, lost to Texas A&M, who's 26th ranked, which is still good because Kentucky's 29th, and then uh, played a very, very close game to Missouri and almost lost to Vanderbilt, who is 74th ranked. But I think that people just kind of figured out their game plan is what it comes down to. They've had, at this point, they've had two games with an under 50% win expectancy. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas A&M, they lost. Vanderbilt, they won. 64% at Missouri. So, you know, I mean, you're right. They did start off hot. They they scored a crap ton of points against Central Michigan. They scored 35 points. 27 at Florida. Uh, 48 at Murray State. 28 at Mississippi State. 24 at South Carolina. And then things, like, kind of starting around that Mississippi game, I think things start to tail off. And I don't think it's necessarily... I, and this is definitely not me, like damning them with faint praise it's just that this team this is a team that does what it does and if you let it do what it wants to do it's just going to beat the hell out of you mm-hmm. uh, and but if you can get it out of its game plan it's not as comfortable with that which is a really nice segue into my next point on stats worth highlighting this team if we can stop the run game we can stop their explosive game then we're going to force them to kick more often and this kentucky kicker is three for seven this year which feels goodman they just yeah. don't get into scoring position. And when they do, they can't kick field goals consistently, which is really good. Yeah, for yeah it really is. And and yeah, I mean, I think the a couple of things I also want to point out where we're talking about uh, stats, too, is if you look, if we look into their statistical profile, um, there's really not a lot of weaknesses on this Kentucky team defensively, except, and this is interesting, they are not actually that great on passing downs. Mm-hmm. Um, they are 60th overweight passing down S&P plus. They are 53rd marginal efficiency, 71st marginal explosiveness, 88th passing down line yards per carry, and 75th line yards sack rate. If you compare that to standard downs, second overall S&P plus defensively, ninth marginal efficiency, first marginal explosiveness, 48th line yard per carries, ninth sack rate. I think it's really interesting. Um, and I think that I think there's a couple of things that that has to do with one, you know, when you have kind of one dominant transcendent player on standard downs, I think it's a little bit easier to like funnel things to that side of the play and, you know, um, use him, you use Josh Allen and sort of a multiple uh, way and, you know, move him around, put him into coverage, you know, rush him late, whatever. But I think when you have one very good player and then sort of role players around him on defense, that's he's much easier to game plan around on passing downs. I'm actually reminded of when we played South Carolina with Jadavion Clowney at our house or at all our house, like his senior year, and he had no sacks against us. And it was just literally because we ran him out of every play. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that he wasn't good. It's that, you know, when you get into a passing down situation and like you would kind of be a fool if you were Mark Stoops to do anything but use Josh Allen to rush the passer. But then on the other hand, that also sort of helps in the sense that it makes you it makes it's it's more likely to make you predictable, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Josh Allen is still going to get his, but I think on passing downs, there are ways to sort of like scheme a player out of the play, and so I think that's going to be interesting to see if we can take a, take advantage of that on passing downs. And if you look at their passing S and P plus, it's actually very good. But the difference between what what really stands up to me is the difference between their passing S and P plus 
their defensive or their standard downs S&P plus, and then that sharp contrast to their passing downs. So that yeah. what that tells me is a we're going to have to have a good play, game plan coming in to work with you know third and long situations because um, you know it's going to be tough sledding up the, in the middle against this team, and then b that you know Jake Fromm just has to come to play. Mm-hmm. And actually, even if you look defensively, like their third and long percentage is ninetieth. They do not put people in third and longs, and their third and uh, their third and long success rate is fifty seventh. Their third and medium success rate is eighty eighth, and their third and short success rate is fifty second. So it just seems to me like they're very explosive, and if they put you in a bad situation, they're pretty good at keeping you on one. But if you can hang around throughout the course of an offensive drive, you can kind of move the ball on them a little bit in mm-hmm. certain situations. That is not as bad. You know, I mean, that's not to say they're bad, but that just means that they're. this is not the perfect defense, you know. I haven't looked at a third down for Georgia since our last game where we actually boost a bunch of these stats up. But like third and short, third and long, we're 10th best offensively, third, third and short. We're 21st best offensively, third and long. And it seems pretty good comparatively to Kentucky's, what, 90 and 84th? So yeah, like just like you said, like I, I feel like this is... What this looks like to me as I'm piecing it together in my uh, making a, you know, like a, a word picture, getting the third down, getting first downs out of third and out is going to get us to a good position to keep their defense on the, the field long enough. You know, if, if we could just efficiency them to death, then we're going to be okay. They're going to get stops against us. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can avoid the Havoc play and just like run, it's going to be frustrating as hell because it's going to be hard to run on them. But, you know, you'll notice that for all, if you look at, if we look at their run statistics, as good as they are against the run normally, the really, they're only, um, really, they're only sort of, what's the word? Uh, weakness. How did I miss that word? Is uh, stuff rate and opportunity rate. And so what that, what that makes me think is, yeah, certainly they're going to get some stops against us. But if we can just get a bunch of two yard gains, those are going to add up. Mm-hmm. And I think this might be the kind of game where we have a very frustrating first half and we even go into the halftime, um, we go into halftime down, but I think this is a game where, and I know it's weird to say this because it seems like we have more talent. If we can just stick around for long enough, I think we'll be okay in this game because we are we are a very explosive team still right now. And I think that as good as Kentucky's defense is, it's very hard for any non-Alabama defense to hold a good to hold a good offensive down for four total quarters. Which is not to say they can't do it, but like we kind of, despite all of our gnashing of teeth and talking about you know, teaching methods and making big analogies about the way that this offense works for all of that. This is still like a top 10 offense. Just like what you're saying, like the more I think about this and the more I look at these stats, I, I think back to, for instance, that, that, that two minute drill that Jake Fromm had near the end of the Florida game where it was like, pass the sidelines to the tight ends. That's exactly what he's good at. That's what he's best at. So I can consider, I can imagine that happening in this game, passing the sidelines and then trying to run Holyfield at the middle for a couple plays. That's fine. And switching him out for James Cook, and then eventually using DeAndre Swift to run, you know, around the sides and then using tight end play, tight end play, DeAndre Swift around the sides and just kind of moving it back and forth and back and forth and getting our yards on the sides, but really just hitting them hard in the center. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that sort of is the what you just said is the operationalized version of efficiencying them to death. Sure. And yeah. it's not going to be pretty a lot of the time and it's not going to lead to. I don't think it's going to lead to instant success, but this is actually one of those games where, you know, the thing is, um, if we score 25, 26, 27, you got to feel pretty good about our chances of winning. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And so, and that doesn't mean that we can't lose. It just means that that's not the kind of game Kentucky wants to play. You know what I mean? If we go into the halftime and we've scored 21 points, 
no matter how much they're up by or down by, that's still not the game Kentucky wants to play. You know what I'm saying? Because when they give up three touchdowns like that, it really puts a lot of pressure on their offense. And in particular, it puts a lot of pressure on their quarterback, who is a very talented guy, but is not Jake Fromm. No. Right? I mean, if you look at uh, if you look at uh, Terry Wilson as their quarterback, he has um, 153 attempts for and 100 completions, good for a 65.4 completion rate. It's pretty good. 9.9 yards for completion, um, 5.5 yards per attempt. He has a 7.8 sack rate, which is fine. Uh, positive 1.5 marginal efficiency, which is also good. And uh, 0.01 positive marginal explosiveness, which is just average. However, he only has on the year 988 yards and five touchdowns and six interceptions. So for as he's a very talented and gifted runner. Uh, on the year, he's ran for 487 yards on 75 rushes, good for 6.5 per carry. Um, he's a very talented runner, but he is not sort of your prototypical put the guy, put the ball in the, this guy's hand and he'll win you the game. And I think there's a version of this game, although I don't think it's very likely, but I think if, if UGA is going to win this game easily, which I don't think is likely, but if it does happen, it's going to be kind of like a classic Georgia Tech easy win where, you know, you get up by 20 points and that 20 points seems like the world because when you force Georgia Tech to pass, it's just, they're not. It's real out. bad. Right. And I, and this this Kentucky team has a good enough defense that that's probably not going to happen. But if you want like the best case scenario, I think that's what it is. I think what happens is that, you know, UGA is efficient and then we just hit two or three explosive plays and not bury Kentucky, but like really put the pressure on Terry Wilson. You know what I mean? And and sure, they could still get back into it, but that still just puts them out of their comfort zone. I'd like to think that we will get ahead and then we're just going to l- almost let Benny Snell and Terry Wilson run but not enough to like really move the chains all the way down the field. It's the old, like the, the crock pot method. Like you get up by six points and you just fall on top of them. Yeah. Because like it's absurd to kind of see Benny Snell has run. He's rushed now for 179. He's rushed 179 times this year. Terry Wilson's rushed 75. Those are both substantially more than the majority of our, our running backs. Uh, Holyfield and Swift have both rushed for 85 and 83 times this year. That's absurd. <laughs> That's like, I, I can't believe that Benny Snell, Benny Snell's a machine, first of all, but yeah, he is. He's a very good player. It, it's so insane. And, and to think that he's only had nine touchdowns um, on the year already, we know that he's going to be a, a key component to a Kentucky win if there is a Kentucky win. So looking back on Benny Snell, his highlight yards per opportunity are only 4.66 and then his marginal efficiency and explosiveness are both breaking even uh, just about. And so we know what we're getting out of him. He's going to run the same plays, essentially, that he's been given. He's not, you know, nothing crazy is going to happen out of Benny Snell other than he is just a freak of nature that is going to run the ball down our throats as much as he possibly can. So at least yeah. there's that predi- and it, and it, predictable there piece is, of football. You're, you're right. There is sort of like a predictability about how good he is. And when you beat them or when you beat this team, like the way you beat them is by sort of just saying like, okay, well, I guess Benny's going to get his. Like if you look at the Texas A&M game, um, Texas A&M, they lost to Texas A&M with the final score of 14 to 20. And on the day, Benny Snell was, he had, he was 13, 13 rushes, 80 yards, 4.62 yards per carry, 2.93 line yards per carry, 54% success rate, 54% opportunity rate, uh, 5.3, 3.3 yard lines per carry. So like, even though that's not his like best day, that's not like a that's over hundred yard. Yeah, it's still good. So like he was still good, but they just were able to uh, put enough pressure on him and then make overall the running make the running game pedestrian overall. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he got some yards and looked effective at times, like 
that that's sort of what you have to do. Like he's just going to have some carries against you where you're just like, well, he's just a super good, he's a super good player. So I will know in that same game, Terry Nelson got sacked six times. Terry Wilson, not Terry Nelson. Terry Nelson is my good friend's dad. <laughs> well, I, but that's, oh yeah. You know what? We played poker at his house. Yep. <laughs> um, I love that guy. He's amazing. Yep. Yeah. But see, that's the thing though, is like, you know, you, if you put them in a position where the pressure's on Terry Wilson and the game becomes about him, you have a much better chance of winning. Right, because if the game is just totally about is Benny Snell good enough to win the game, the answer is yes. But if you can put it in a position where, however good he is, it's still difficult for him to win the game, like you know, by himself. You know, it that's a, a you feel better tempered. about it. Yeah. Uh, things you want to see? So this game, I think we've kind of like sort of talked around all of these to we this have. point. Uh, but you know, I think that we have to get stops, and that seems stupid. That's sort of silly, but ultimately, and that's true in every game. But I think it's really true here because. You just you have to make them you have to make them feel a sense of urgency, mm-hmm. right? If they can get up to like an eight point lead and try to just sit on the ball, then that's going to put a lot of pressure on us. But if we can get some stops and even just keep the game close, then we f- I feel much better about our chance of winning. And so that means like certainly you're going to give up points, but that means just like forcing some punts. You need to force four or five punts out of this team. Um, I think Fromm has to be good. I mean, obviously, but I just think in particular today, you know, Fromm has to not look rattled. He has to take care of the ball. And he has to be willing to take what's there and not just wait for it and take sacks. We're going to have to run fields in order to get the run game going. I'm pretty sure that's just what it's going to be. And I'm going to be very frustrated if we are just too stupid to <laughs> figure... I, if we're just too stupid to figure that out, I'm going to be very frustrated. Yeah. We're gonna, it, it's going to take... We, we cannot run the inside trap play against them 25 times. You know what I'm saying? We mm-hmm. cannot run you know, power and ISO and outside zone without anything, without any window dressing and expect it to work because this is a team that plays good defense. And if we just run our 10 best, our 10 base plays, it's not going to work. So I, you know, I think related the corollary to Jake Fromm has to be good is that Cheney has to call a, at least somewhat creative game. And that doesn't mean throwing it 50 times. It just means, you know, Giving them something they haven't seen. Giving them a new look, even if it's the same play. Before we get into our over-unders and predictions, let's go into halftime. Yeah. Let's talk about those guys that we talked about at the very beginning. Those, uh, What did you call it? You said, it's the only med that goes. It's the only med the that only goes. The only med that goes. Yeah. Yeah, just like Nathan said, this episode is supported by our good friends at GoMed. GoMed is uh, the only people we know that provide urgent care on the go, meaning they do house calls. You guys have heard of us talk about them just a few times at this point, I think. They are not reinventing the wheel. They're getting back to the basics of the medical field they are bringing the house call back to the forefront of the industry with the stats i have here a few percentages and things like a, in the early 1930s house calls by doctors only uh accounted for about 40 percent of doctor patient meetings and by 1980 they were uh, they shrunk down to 0.6 percent and so since then they they've pretty much just been reserved for the old sickly and the too wealthy but no longer is the problem with our friends at GoMed. so these guys are uh they came to us a few weeks ago and they said hey we're nerdy UGA alumni, but uh, just like most of you guys, we all have that kind of in common. They believe over at GoMed, quality healthcare shouldn't be relegated just to brick and mortar. And for most of those, going to the doctor or the hospital isn't just expensive. It's uncomfortable and it's strange and it's just not something that most people enjoy. So GoMed wants to serve folks in the place that they are most comfortable, which is, of course, their homes. With this novel idea, they are taking the facility out of the equation, which becomes a much safer and more convenient and just overall more pleasant experience for you and your family one of my favorite things that you shared at our very first uh, gomed ad was uh you talked about 
you take all your kids out and one kid's getting checked out by the doctor and the other kid's licking the walls and, you know, everyone's just getting whatever germs every kid has. Well, with GoMed service, these kind folks make sure that the only walls your kids are licking are your own. GoMed has locations all over Atlanta. They also have some locations over in Charleston, specifically in Daniel Island and Mount Pleasant. So go check our friends out at GoMed.net. You can schedule a visit yeah. right now if you wanted. They might, would be I don't weird, know if they'll come but out, but you could try. Don't do it while you're in the car. No, don't do that. I don't know where you're listening. Hit me with some over-unders, Nathan. All right. Um, Over-under 200 yards by Benny Snell. God, I hope not. That seems like a whole bunch. This is one of those wing and a prayer unders. <laughs> I'm going to say under. You're going to say under? I, I'm going to say under because I, I know what the world where it's over feels like, and I don't want to live in it. I don't want to live in that world. I'm going to say under as well, uh, even though I can see a place where that would happen. And it has happened to us before in recent memory, but I'd rather yeah. it not happen at all. All right, 1.5 passing touchdowns from Jake Fromm. Over. Over, too. Over, like, firmly over. Yeah, I, you give me, you, I feel good about that. You give me one. Uh, I gave over under Benny Snell 5.2 yards per carry, which is his average yards per carry on the year. 5.2 yards per carry, eh? This is a Benny Snell show. Hey, we're t- we are talking a lot about him. Get it? You know what? I'm going to say under. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, even in bad games, Benny Snell, just, he still just comes out. Makes things happen. So this is the thing. In the last three games, arguably should have been losses for most of them. Benny Snell has averaged like less than four and a half, less than four yards per carry. I do think that Kentucky is going to come out with something to prove. So I think he'll definitely have closer to five, but I don't think he'll hit five two. So I yeah, think I'll I, stay I, under. I just think that he will look really good in the first half and eventually will adjust to it. But the thing is like... Do you think that he'll keep running enough to bring that yards per carry down or he'll stay at it? Yeah, I, I, yeah, actually, that's, that's a really good option. That's a really good question. Because he could just run a whole bunch in the first half, like you said, and we make adjustments and come away with the game like we do. Hard to say. Did you say under already? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say under. Okay. I, I just think that I think he's going to carve us up pretty good in the first half. But uh, this team has shown a proclivity to like figure things out as things go forward. And they look much better in the second half on run defense uh, last, or last game. So. I think that it will eventually hold him under because it'll be close enough that he'll keep running. Over under Kentucky's field goal kicker, Miles Butler, 51% on the day of his successful field goals. <laughs> um, he's what? Three for seven? Three for seven. I'm going to say over because I don't think they're going to let him kick anything that's not a chip shot. I'm going to say under. <laughs> just because just you want it. Because I'm rude. <laughs> this poor guy. I think, yeah, I, I don't, you're right. I don't think they're going to put him in p- situations where he's going to have to kick it a bunch. That which sucks. This guy's a senior. Like, he's had so much time to get this down. Yeah, I know. Like, he's got every single extra point of the year, but he's still three for seven on field goals. I don't know what those field goals are specifically. They might be really tough field goals. But at the same time, I think that in the second half, we'll be able to hold them. And if this game is still close, they're going to put him in field goal positions. Like, he has to kick it. And we'll see. He might yeah, just get yeah. one if he's field trying, goal. If he's trying to kick, like, four 40-yarders, it's not going to be a good night. And so I'm hoping we, we, you know, get into a place where we have to make him kick. My uh, my last over-under is based off of the Missouri game. Over-under, what is your over-under for Terry Wilson getting benched in the second half? Like whether or not he's going to get benched? Yeah. Do you think it's a, like... Did he get benched in the Missouri game? He got benched in the third quarter. Really? Yeah. Because it just wasn't working out. Huh. But then he came back and he won the game. Like, so it's hard um, to say. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no on that one. Okay. I think that that's probably true. And I really just, I don't know. I feel like a rude boy this time around. I'm picking on the, the place kicker and I'm kick, picking on Terry Wilson. <laughs> I'll say under two as in no. But we'll see. You heard it here, folks. What's your last one? I only, oh yeah, over under. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Over under 1.5 uh, Josh Allen sacks. 
I think we could get he could get two out of us. Yeah, I think he can too. I'm going to say over. Just because I think he's a good player. And he is another guy where it's like you kind of just have to take your lumps and hope it's not too costly. With that in mind, though, do we have... Is it Ben Cleveland back? He looks like he might be back. I have not seen the Wednesday practice updates yet, but it sounds like he... He has been playing more. He played basically the full day yesterday with the second team. So, man, you really got me thinking about something. What's that? I, I should probably save it for my prediction. Do you want to go into predictions? Let's do them. Yeah, if you're if you're ready, go for it. Okay, so here's what I was thinking about. I was I read this thing. Uh, Senator Blutarski had this thing, and he was talking about uh, teams that play poorly but still win and sort of what that does to our perception. And they interviewed um, the guy who was LSU's coach during the Bluegrass Miracle. It's a very famous play where Kentucky was playing LSU and Kentucky was up with like one second left and they, they doused their coach with Gatorade and they threw it deep. Uh, LSU threw it deep on a Hail Mary and caught it and won the game. What that guy said was that nobody remembers that the next week we got beat the worst we'd ever gotten in the history of our program uh, by Alabama, like 31 to nothing. And he was just talking about how no one thought about how you know, the reason that moment was so special was because we played like crap the whole game. I'm just thinking about like the team, like a lot of our worry about this UGA team is that you're kind of always the worst. You're kind of always the team you are at your worst. You know what I mean? So like the team that we have played, like sometimes where we didn't really give up, we were pretty soft in the middle on defense and we missed tackles in our inside linebackers and we just have to win on offense. Like we're still that team. You know what I mean? But also, like, this is still the team that probably should have lost to Missouri. You know what I'm saying? And so I just, while I have anxiety about it, this I always come back to my core principle, which is that numbers don't lie and that you have to look beyond the narrative. And I think everything, everybody in their brother wants Kentucky to win this game. And the narrative is that Kentucky is going to win and it's going to be the special moment. And they certainly could. I'm not discounting that. But I just think that I'm not sure they have enough in the tank they got, they got a lot of very good players on this team, but they have three great players. And I don't know if that is the kind of team that can run with UGA for 60 minutes. They might be, but I just don't. The more I've looked at the numbers and the more that I've looked at sort of the glaring weaknesses in their offensive uh, game, I, I just don't know that they are going to do anything. So I'm going to say Georgia 27, Kentucky 21. So we don't cover, but we win. And I think maybe in the last quarter it could be like kentucky 21 georgia 20 and then we just kick two field goals yeah the more i think about this that like just thinking back on our past games already and just how poor our red zone defense appears just from the eye test not even looking at the stats just like i'm imagining myself sitting down and watching this game and seeing us like seeing kentucky into the red zone and just benny snell blowing through or terry wilson blowing through into the, the the end zone like a few times i see that happening I don't see them, I don't see us getting like any really huge stops in the red zone. I see us getting stops for sure, but I don't see us getting any like really huge stops once they've already gotten into the red zone. And so because of that, I do foresee two, anywhere from two to four Kentucky touchdowns for sure. With that in mind, I still think the UGA comes away with this game. I think the UGA comes away with it comfortably at some point, but I think it'll be a bit less comfortable for most of the game. I do. Oh, it's going to be awful. It's going to be, I'm going to drink so much. I, it's the, the whole, the whole experience is going to just be horrible. Or maybe it'll be the best and we'll turn the channel before the game's over. Who knows? You know? No, no. If we're winning by a lot, <laughs> if we're winning on it by a lot, I'm going to lap it up, but I just don't think we're going to. I think this is a Kentucky 14 to UGA's 
38. Let me okay. make sure that's right with, hold on. Yeah, 38. I like 38. Ooh, that one doesn't feel that bad. That doesn't feel so crazy. Really? 14 to 38? Yeah, that's huh. what I looked into my crystal ball. I've been watching a lot of Sabrina lately. I'm seven episodes past you. So yeah, I know so a thing down. or two about witches. So I've looked in the crystal ball. That's what it told me. It's going to tell me I'm wrong later, but that's okay. We'll see what happens. Let's get into our SCBC. Yeah, we, we only have a couple today. So y'all got to send more questions. Anyway, uh, I've seen the numbers. I see the numbers. I know people are listening to this. Y'all are just all sitting there silently. Come on, hit me with some questions. I got questions. Uh, Abby Vincent wants to know, do you have any crazy UK fan stories? I actually don't. Oh, oh, okay. Here's what I will say. I have no crazy UK football fan stories. I have a crap ton of crazy UK basketball fan stories. Like UK, I mean, this is not like some special story that I only know. This is like something that's like sort of pretty well known all the way through is that, um, is that if you go to the SEC championships and men's basketball, that there will be Kentucky fans there at every freaking game, including your game, <laughs> just shouting C-A-T-S, cats, cats, cats. Like at a Georgia, Mississippi State women's basketball game, there will be old, like 80-year-old rich Kentucky people wearing like Kentucky starter jackets, just screaming at the top of their lungs. They're like, uh, when it comes to basketball, they are truly like the LSU, UGA level of fandom. Just like insane, like lining up outside. I remember when we played them. Okay, I, I guess I do have a couple of good good stories. So I, I was in the band for the SEC championship, the uh, Tornado Championship, where a tornado hit the Georgia Dome. And I was at all those games. I was not at the Tornado game because it was my wife's like 20th birthday or something, um, 20 something birthday. Uh, but I was at every other game on it. And so when we played the uh, SEC championship against Kentucky, they had to relocate it to the Maxwell Center, which was Georgia Tech's home floor. And they decided that they weren't that at first they said, OK, we're going to give out first come first serve uh, tickets. And then they said, no, we're not. But at, by the time they had said that, there were already like 10,000 Kentucky fans at the door. Oh, jeez! And so they had to turn them all away. And it was literally just like the families of the teams, like a few students, both bands, and then the teams there for the SEC championship game. It was insane. And apparently, and I saw some of this, but I didn't see like when it got really heated. Apparently, after they told them they weren't letting anybody in, it was just a mix of like people who were in their 60s who had rented rvs to come down from kentucky and just drunk kentucky frat boys <laughs> just screaming and so yeah there's my there's, there's my your kentucky one. story ryan clark asks can you remind people to vote on or before tuesday yeah do it <laughs> uh you know actually there have been a lot of problems with early voting in georgia but athens clark county to it's in uh, it's enduring credit has a lot of very easy to go to open our early voting locations yes i'm going this i'm going this friday so i went last friday we should, you know, you should all do it. Exercise your civic right. I actually, and you know what? I'm, I have, I'm a pretty well-known political partisan, but I will say in a very nonpartisan way, like the only thing that really would bother me is if someone was like, oh, I'm a dedicated non-voter. Like, uh, like, I just don't care enough. Like that would piss me off. Like if you're a Republican, like whatever, we can disagree, but like, just vote, like, you know, exercise your right to like, you know, guide the future of the country. Like, I, I don't, I don't get what the apathy is there. I mean, it, it, it befuddles me. Mm -hmm. Anyway. It is super easy. If you are in athens Clark County, there are multiple early voting locations. There's one downtown at the elections office, and there's one at the athens Clark County Library, which is a lovely, lovely library. If you don't know about it, you should go and check it out. And if you're downtown, you can drink afterwards. <laughs> not 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 during. Or but before. 
before and after. Go nuts. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it before because it's a. It's a. It's it can't be a stressful situation if it's yeah. your first time or even your second. You want to go in. You want to go in with like clear high. You know, like clear mind, clear eyes. Can't lose. Whatever. Whatever the saying is. Closed eyes, clear minds, won't lose. Don't close your eyes while you cast your ballot. Bright That's eyes, advice. clear ballots, won't lose. Now that's just election tampering. <laughs> Open eyes, closed mouths, writing on papers. <laughs> sure. Coach Taylor, Friday Night Lights, this weekend, yeah. early voting. I was hoping you'd play with me in this space, but you let it go. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't. The problem is I have not actually seen Friday Night Lights. You haven't so seen Friday Night really... Lights? No, I haven't. Isn't that awful? I really should see it. That seems that I'm confused that you haven't seen Friday Night Lights. Not because you're a football fan, but because you and Sam both love Riverdale so much and all those other cheesy yeah. TV shows. That... Yeah, and, and Coach Taylor went to UGA. Did he really? Like the guy who plays it? Yeah. Hmm. I didn't know that. Anyway, do you think we'll have a hundred yard rusher this week? Uh, yeah, that's the second question. Yeah. Um. Yes. Who is it? I think it's finally. I think. I think. Uh, I think our boy Holyfield finally gets his. Yeah, I just think this is his kind of game where it's going to be like, you know, they, their defensive line stats are not as good as their linebacker stats. The the core of how good they are, I think, is in their linebacking core and their uh, secondary. It's very good. The defensive line's good, but not not as good as their linebackers. And it just this feels like the kind of game to me where we are in the first half, like just real frustrated with Holyfield's runs, and that eventually he just starts breaking them off. Do you think it's going to come from? reading the defense correctly and finding the right holes and getting past the, you know, Josh Allen or the other option I feel is Deandre Swift getting these big, big explosive plays off of sweeps. Uh, Yeah. I think that might happen, but I also just think this feels like the kind of game where like the, the, the cumulative effect of Elijah Holyfield running into people is going to add up. Okay. So our very last segment of the day is the Dr. James Verifield troll corner presented by Cheerwine is the wine that gives you diabetes. TM, TM, TM. Very first question is how would you equate Maxwell's demon to the UK offense? Okay, here's the thing. This is a weird one because it's like I actually knew Maxwell's demon already and I didn't have to look it up. But it, I also just don't really know what he's trying to get at here. So that's what's sort of befuddling. All right, so Maxwell's demon, and this is why it's weird. Maxwell's demon is about like thermodynamics and like the fundamental laws, like the uh, laws of physics or whatever. The second law of thermodynamics says that the total entropy of an isolated system can never decrease over time. So basically, what that means is that like, okay, entropy is. A super complicated uh, entropy is essentially just that anything that will happen will it, anything that can't happen will happen essentially right like within well yeah it's basically that like things even out into a constant state so like entropy is what would cause like the universe to uh drift apart slowly entropy is what causes things to cool down right like loss of energy and so basically that like entropy stays consistent throughout a, a field and so Maxwell's demon is a thought experiment that was coined actually all the way back in the 1800s, I think, which is this idea that like, if you had a chamber, if you had two chambers of gas and in between them was a door operated by a switch and on top of it, you had a demon who basically could like instantly open and close the door and would instantly open and close the door in such a way that he only let the more excited particles of gas through the door, you could actually increase or you could actually decrease the entropy in one of the chambers by making, by basically sorting the two chambers of gas into an excited and non-excited one, and which would functionally increase the entropy on one side of the chamber. 
Um, and there's been a lot of uh, it, very interesting like talk that goes into this. And actually, it's turned into like a, a, a problem that's actually uh, pursued pretty often by uh, artificial intelligence enthusiasts as well. Uh, Maxwell's demon is sort of like the uh, prototype for the sort of mind-bending, physics-bending things that artificial intelligence could theoretically one day do. So in that sense, it's very interesting. As for UK's offense, I kind of think of like it's i think it's one of those things where it's like if you had a demon and you put all of Kentucky's plays offensive plays into a chamber where they were equally distributed and you shook the chamber up and you had a demon that could operate the switch that would let all the run plays through to one side and keep all the pass plays in the other side then you uh Kentucky would definitely win if they just could access just all their run plays um, <laughs> There we go. That one. That one was real. That was real circuitous, but I got there. You did it. I've, you've done more circuitous things before. That's not a, a slight by any means. That wasn't. That wasn't too. <laughs> that wasn't so bad. All right. How does uh, Kentucky think of the weird meals it serves in its stadiums? I feel like there's a story here. I don't know what he means because, like, what is, I don't know what Kentucky thinks about it. Yeah, I don't know Kentucky. I don't know them like that. Yeah, I don't know you. <laughs> I mean, I know that they have like Kentucky has like a bunch of. Um, sort of like nice meals that you can get in their stadium and they have a bunch of like sort of trendy hipster meals you can get at the stadium like fusion tacos and stuff i think that also kentucky stadium traditionally has been sort of like trying to mirror the experience at a place like keeneland where you can get really nice food so i don't know what they think about it they probably like it actually no they probably don't care because they're all too hammered on bourbon (laughs) i will i will say like kentucky stadium is actually gorgeous it's not it's not a big stadium, but it is all one bowl. The inside of it, when I was there, was like blue and white checkered. There's a lot of that blue and white checker motif throughout the inside. And it and it is like genuinely a beautiful stadium. Like um it's got like it's got a second deck now or whatever, but the second deck is not uh doesn't isn't divided as much and it's a very it's a very like uh what's the word? It's a very evenly sloped bowl. Like it's not very steep or it didn't seem like it was very steep when we were there. And so that just like the viewing angles and the ability to see like all the way across the stadium is really cool. Like how, cause it's a very flat styled stadium. I like that we just have so many nice things to say about Kentucky. It seems yeah. like I would like it there. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm trying to be nice to them cause I have my friend Turner who is a Kentucky fan um, who actually listens to this podcast cause he's like a glutton for punishment and texted me about that big thing I did about teaching the other day. Nice. It was pretty good. A lot of people have said in the last few episodes, the the Florida rant was, um, here's a quote, iconic, and the teacher thing was good, too. The very last question, though, is, a, James Barefield sent us a real question. What's going to be the most important player-to-player matchup of this game? Uh, Andrew Thomas versus Josh Allen. Oh, 100%. I absolutely believe that. All I'm saying is, if you can keep, jo- if you'd keep uh, from upright enough, then, like, we'll probably win. Yeah. But that's a problem. That's all the things we have to say about this game. Are you excited about it? Um, Are you ever excited about football? Are you just like, it's just kind of like an inevitable truth? No, it's not that. It's just like, yeah, I'm excited, but my excitement is like internal. Yeah, I'm very excited about this game. I'm very excited because I I want this team has really frustrated me. How am I fucking excited? How much do you have to bleep out of this fucking podcast? (laughs) Um, Well, I I was just making sure that it was was excitement that I was, you know. And not like anxiety. 
No, I mean, here's the thing. Ultimately, this team's good and they can beat us. And if they do, it's like, hey, good job. Uh, it would just piss me off if that happened just because it would feed into a narrative that annoys me. Not that Kentucky is good, but that I hate the Team of Destiny narrative. I think it's just annoying. Even when we are the Team of Destiny, I still hate it. But I, I guess I just want... what The way I feel about this game is I feel more... It's more about our team than their team in the sense... Not in the sense of like, oh, if we play way, we'll win. But more in the sense of like the things I care about when it comes to this game. Because I just want to see this team decide to play the game they can play. I feel about this team the way I feel about like a class that's been underperforming where it's like, I'm not really disappointed yet, but you got to prove something to me. You guys are better than I'm going to be. Yeah. 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 And if we go out there and we play a hell of a game and they still win because they just are having a magical season, like whatever. But if we go out there and like around and lose and it feels like we're around and losing, I'll be pretty pissy. Um, I, I not just pissy. It's just like, like, let's go out and show like if, you're going to have all this testosterone fuel clapping about how tough you are and about physicality and how about how that's your mentality. You have to just prove it, right? Because if you don't, then why are we calling plays that way? And that's the other thing that is going to piss me off about this game. It's like, there's a game where if we call this game correctly, we'll win. I just am worried that we're not going to call this game correctly, especially offensively. We'll see. Maybe we learned something from Florida. Maybe. Anyway, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. Thanks for listening. You probably listen to it on iTunes, but if you listen to it on Google Play or pretty much anywhere else, you can subscribe to a podcast and you can share it with one of your friends that might think the show is cool too. You can always get in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or just a simple old email by emailing us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. We're also at chapelbellcurve everywhere else as well. But if you enjoyed today or one of your friends enjoyed and they haven't done it yet, you can always leave us a rating and a review. We really appreciate that. That actually gets us in front of more people so that they can also hear the show. And more people to hear the show means that I don't really know what it means necessarily. It's not like I'm trying. I don't have a, a goal necessarily to, to have X number of listeners or anything. But it's always it feels good. I get the warm and fuzzies. You know, you turn Nathan's cold robot heart into a warm, fuzzy, cuddly little furry thing. Yeah, it did made me happier. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's exactly what we want. We want Nathan to be happy. We'll catch you in the classic city because neither of us are going to Kentucky. And until we see you guys next time, as always... Go, Go dogs. dogs.